Dovey and welcome to the Native Informant podcast. Today is going to be the first episode recorded and that subject is cancel culture. Cancel culture, the culture of denunciation as people like to call it, is very much in and of itself the process of annihilating somebody on social media and thinking that whatever they say is a personal attack on you, so you want to render them null. When you have things that spearhead cancel culture, like social media, I mean, social media incentivizes binary thinking. It's either you're for or you're against, with us or against us. And above all, if I'm right, then you must be wrong. And so when I was thinking for this subject matter, cancel culture, you know, we love a good old alliteration. I was thinking, okay, what other C's can we throw in there? And I thought of the five C's. Content, context, culture, character, and conflict, which I like to call culpa, which I'll get into later on. So when I think of content, the first thing that comes to mind is Dr. Stephen Peter's book, The Chimp Paradox, alongside David Robson's The Expectation Effect. And the reason why they come to mind is because to break down the book for everyone, it's very much the idea of how your brain processes information. And what it is is that you formulate the images in your mind's eye and your mind takes premeditated or existing images from your past experiences and it aligns it and rewrites it so you're able to make sense of what you're seeing in front of you. And with the chimp paradox, you have the chimp brain, which is the brain that basically is the reactive brain. It's the brain that sees everything and is ready to pounce. And then you have the human brain. The human is basically the logical way of thinking. And then of course you have the computer that operates the two. And so when you're on social media and you read comments, you automatically have this knee-jerk reaction to think, oh, this comment is about me. Because of that process, it is almost nearly impossible to have an unbiased opinion or an unbiased approach to a situation. It has to draw from existing forms of reference. It has to have something that is stored away in its filing cabinet that you refer to. And that is the thing that makes you react the way that you do for a specific comment or an image that you see on social media. Now, if you want to take that in terms of the way that we react to things and the way that our brain just processes information, the way that we know how to do that is the good old fashioned being triggered. You have all of these sensations that get boiled up in your body and you're just like, oh, this really triggers me. And it's just like, it's the hot word, the hot topic that everybody uses. I want to fit it with an analogy that reminded me as an artist, you learn the fundamental difference between looking and seeing. So if I was to paint a landscape that's in front of me, I will create with gestural lines these strokes for the leaves and the tree that I see in front of me. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not really seeing the tree, I'm looking at it because I can't see each individual leaf and I can't illustrate each individual leaf. So I have to refer to my filing cabinet of all things and I look at what I'm seeing rather than seeing what I'm seeing. And so social media is kind of like looking at things. You don't have all the form of reference. You don't have contextual relevance, context, which is the next C you really often at times take things out of context and that's what triggers you. So when we take things that are out of context, the thing that really it boils down to is up for interpretation. And I mean, we could go hours and hours on what is up for interpretation. Really, it's literally in the eye of the beholder. I need to know the whole picture cutting and pasting videos where people take things out of context from a long format video and they curate a new impression or an understanding of what you're actually looking at. And it might not necessarily give the same image that you were expecting. It might completely rewrite the narrative. And what happens is that you start to feed into this illusion of what 
is reality. Instead of being people which really have their own opinion and can formulate their own thoughts and ideas, you get sheeple and you, you know, you follow the pack, you follow the herd. I think the people that are really spearheading this narrative of either being triggered or feeling like it's an infliction on their subjective reality, I think are the Gen Zers. I mean, and I tried to figure out whether or not it was because I feel like Gen Zers, and no offense to them, so please don't take it, but Gen Zers sort of crave a nostalgia that they don't really belong to. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that their entire lives have been on social media through the lens of the digital sphere. And so nostalgia is ever present in their lives. They can just, they're one click away from reverting back to an image of them when they're four years old, five years old, just born. So I think that craving of nostalgia need to romanticize and, and then hyper fixate on things that they feel is a personal attack on their livelihood. I got sent this, this video of a woman called Carolyn Wanger, and she had made a video talking about who you are as a person. Hopefully I won't butcher it, but she says who you are is who you are at the core. And if you are being challenged on who you are, you should never change that. You should change where you are. She spent her entire life trying to change her who, restructure and reorient herself to cater to other people's needs when in actual fact it was the where that she needed to change. And she needed to find places or where's that would respect her who. And right now we're living in a really unique time in history where our who's are being centered in the conversation. They are being foregrounded in certain where's. And if you stay true to who you are as a person, then those wares will have to adjust. And if you can't find a place where your who is respected, then you need to look elsewhere and that's where your who will thrive. And so because the Gen Zers are at the apex of this who versus where, us versus them, right versus wrong, they will be the perpetuators, but then also the saviors. So I really hope that that does happen. We have different forms of elasticity. How far are we willing to stretch for a certain thought, concept, and ideology that we're willing to sort of fight for? We tolerate certain things. People who are in the comedic field really suffer because that elasticity is being stretched so far and wide that it kind of ricochets back and goes the complete opposite direction. So people take everything into offense. And I mean, I miss the days where comedy was just for comedy's sake and it was rich and raw and real. And, you know, we enjoyed it for what it's worth. And we didn't take it out of context for being a comedic social satire that we could all enjoy. If we apply that logic when it comes to comedy and elasticity with interpretation, it goes down now to the third C, which is culture. Now, this is a really tricky one because contextual relevance and cultural relevance plays a huge role in the way that we interpret information online. And the way that I see it and how I've always seen it is high context cultures versus low context cultures. So when you have high context cultures, they are cultures that rely on implicit ways of thinking. It is the collective consciousness. It is about the subtle nuances in the way that we act and the way that we interpret information. It is also in the nonverbal cues. So in a way, it's self-preservation of saving face. And so a lot of people from high context cultures are Middle Eastern cultures. They are African cultures. They are indigenous cultures. So now if we shift that gaze to low context cultures, they're cultures that rely on explicit ways of thinking, very assertive, very mean what you say, say what you mean. The way that they understand themselves is completely autonomous. They, they operate as individuals. They, they speak for themselves. They advocate for themselves. And people that belong to these low context cultures are Western cultures. 
are Germanic cultures, are Nordic cultures. If we want to put low context culture alongside high context culture, an example of that is colonialism. So sometimes it's not necessarily the content that you're seeing. It's not necessarily the context that is triggering you. It might not even be the culture that is facing you. Sometimes it boils down to the person or what I like to say, the character, our fourth C. If you're online and you are associating yourself with the character, first of all, we have to establish what type of relationship you have with that character. That character sometimes is fictitious. They're online, they're a persona. But that relationship that you have is a parasocial relationship, relationship that is one-sided. And you kind of fill in the holes and the gaps of that individual because they're not necessarily talking to you personally, yet you feel somehow so drawn to them as a person. You almost seem invested in their livelihood. And so you believe that it is a full-blown two-way relationship. The positive effects of having a parasocial relationship is of course like social engagement, you really love it, you get followers, validation from external people that you never asked for. But the negative effects of that of course is the backlash. It's the mental health associated with everything. It is the way in which people feel entitled to advocate for the demise of your existence, which will result in the cancellation. And that kind of brings me to probably the last C, conflict, or what I like to call culpa. Now, the reason why it's so important is because if you're facing somebody from the position of social media and they've said something that really upset you, you're going to feel like there's now an internal conflict that's happening that you need to release, you need to project outwards. So culpa comes from the Latin phrase maya culpa, which means my fault or taking onus on yourself or taking accountability. You can just kind of put your hands up and go, you know, maya culpa, maya culpa, maya maxa culpa. But I think on social media, it's much harder to do because you're faced with an argument that just is a vicious cycle of regurgitating the same key messages over and over again, because the person can't grab the entire context of what you're trying to say. You have to give that person grace. I mean, the only way that you would be able to do that is to go, okay, here's my statement. What you're trying to say, did I hear you correctly? Did I read what you said correctly? Are you trying to say A, B, and C? And then it just kind of goes back and forth. The parasocial relationship, it makes also the argument one-sided. You end up arguing with yourself because your aim, for whatever reason, is to get your point across. Since I've kind of been on the receiving end of that many a time, I thought it would be really interesting to bring on the logical fallacies, and I'm sure you'll recognize them. Logical fallacies is argumentation. It, it boils down to the types of argumentation that you can have in a debate or in an argument. The first one that I'm, I'm only gonna give a, a few, but the first one is ad hominem. That is when the person that you are attacking becomes the main point of the conversation rather than the conversation itself. I'll, I'll give an example. Let's just say for argument's sake, online, I decided to say, I don't like coffee. It's a true statement. It's fact for me. I absolutely despise coffee till the very inner core of my being. Uh, I would like to think it's because I'm a super taster. Anything that is coffee related, tiramisu, get that away from me. Ad hominem would be, they would attack me as an individual rather than the statement about coffee. They might say, for example, oh, you don't like coffee? Well, you don't know how to taste properly. You are a horrendous person because you just don't like coffee. It's ridiculous. 
Another one would be straw manning or straw man fallacy, which is the misrepresentation or the distortion of an opponent's point of view in an argument to make it easier for you to attack. So an example of that would be, you said that everyone doesn't like coffee. So that means you hate all beverages. That means everyone should just not drink anything. And how many times have you been in conversation where someone has diverted the conversation in that direction? The third one is a false dichotomy. This is when you present two extreme arguments as a way to justify the position that you take and that can only be the possibility in the argument so an example of that would be it's either you like coffee or you're not even a human being so you're basically the worst person in the world i mean just apply that line of logic you can see it very clearly probably one of the favorites that people like to do online which is appeal to authority and it's basically in the title it's self-explanatory but to clarify it's when you want to appeal to somebody who is opinionated or has some sort of authority on the manner i don't like coffee and someone say well renowned coffee expert Dr. John Smith of the Coffee Institution once said that coffee is the epitome of taste and class. And because you don't like it, you have no taste and therefore no class. And the last one I'm going to put, because I mean, there's so many logical fallacies that we can go through. I mean, the, the, the list is endless. Good old fashioned red herring. That is when you introduce an irrelevant topic to the conversation to simply divert the way that we think. So that would be like, I don't like coffee. Someone would either say, well, they'd probably use whataboutism because that's a fan favorite. They'd say, well, what about strawberries? The reason why I'm bringing this up in this cancel culture discussion is because I find it so funny whenever we're faced with these types of conversations where people take things out of context, short format versus long format, and they make it all about them and they turn the spotlight onto them completely self-serving, and they interject these logical fallacies into the conversation. So for people who are listening or for watching, you know, when you recognize them, you can really call out and completely wipe the floor with that person's statement and you could win the argument because you are coming at it from a logical and rational point of view. So keep an eye out for those logical fallacies because I guarantee they will come up in conversation. At least now you know that you're more equipped to know what you're facing with. To kind of end the conversation, I feel like maybe there might be room room for a final C. And that C could be correction. We are in the culture of denunciation, but can we be the culture of redemption? Is there room for redemption? What is the threshold? Or at least what is the line? Can you define the line? And do you know when you've crossed it? So yeah, I think I'll leave you with that. It's just some food for thought. Cancel culture and the five C's or six C's, I think we've got to. So thank you for tuning in. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell on wherever you're watching it. I am Sarah Allegruby and this is the Native Informant Podcast.